This podcast is part of the Batman Universe Podcast Network, hosted by the BatmanUniverse.net. Check out everything related to Batman and the entire Bat family at the BatmanUniverse.net, including news and original content related to comics, movies, television, merchandise, video games, and more. Also, check out some of the other unique podcasts that TBU has to offer. Consider supporting this podcast by becoming a patron on Patreon. Even $1 can go a long way in supporting this content that you enjoy. Look for a link over at thebatmanuniverse.net to offer your support now. And now, on with the show. Greetings, Gothamites. Lane here. Welcome to episode 18 of Batman Books, The Dark Knight in Prose, where the only pictures are those formed in the imagination. Today, we're covering chapters 15 and 16 of book number two, which is Batman The Ultimate Evil by Andrew Vax. If you'd like to reach out to me, you can contact me on Twitter at BatmanBooks underscore DKP or email me at DarkNightPros at gmail.com. Without further ado, let's dive into chapter 15. Chapter 15 begins on page 145. Apologies in advance for any Australian accent I try to do. Chapter 15, scene 1. This is a short one, so I'll just read it through. Big Jack Hollister piloted the rental car with the ease of a traffic veteran despite the unfamiliarity of right-hand drive. He followed directions he had picked up in San Francisco occasionally stopping the car for a visual check of his surroundings, and to be certain he wasn't followed. A leisurely 45-minute drive brought him to Bondi Beach. He walked to the payphone, deposited the coins, and dialed as he had been instructed. The phone rang inside a fourth-floor apartment. A manicured hand reached for the receiver. Yes, the voice said. My name is Hollister, the Batman said. I understand you have been expecting me. It might be so, the man in the apartment answered, his voice as dry and empty as a snake's discarded skin. Do turn around if you don't mind. Turn around, the man who said he was Big Jack Hollister asked, feigning confusion. Yes, turn around. I'd like to have a look at you, the man in the apartment said, now peering through a telescope trained on the payphone Hollister was told to use. As Hollister turned... The man in the apartment quickly compared the face with the one in the Polaroid photo he held in his left hand. That will do, he said, satisfied. Do you remember what I told you to bring? Yes, Hollister said, holding up a blue gem bag. Ah, very good. If you'll just take a little walk, say, halfway to the water, and establish yourself, I'll be along directly. Okay, Hollister said, but he was speaking into a dead phone. My notes? I know Bruce Wayne is disguised as Hollister, but there's one point in a dialogue tag where he's identified as the Batman. I know what Vax is going for here. Batman is a mindset, not just the costume. So even when he's not wearing cape and cowl, if he's on the prowl, he can arguably be called Batman. But it still gave me the mental image of Batman in full Batman regalia in the payphone. Then Superman would be all, Imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. And Batman would be all, You know people can see inside a phone booth, right? It's a dumb place to change clothes. 
And Superman would be like, Well, at least you didn't harp on my disguise being glasses. Thank you for that. And Batman would be like, Wait, where do you hide your glasses when you become Superman? And Superman would just grin heroically at him and wink. And the wink would actually make this sound. It also reminds me of the 2002 movie Phone Booth, starring Colin Farrell. That's worth a watch if you haven't seen it yet. Holy crap, that came out 17 years ago. Anyway, uh, back to the book. Chapter 15, Scene 2 Hollister found a suitable spot. He opened the gym bag and spread out a khaki army blanket. Then he reached inside the bag and took out a small red cooler in the shape of a toolkit. Satisfied, Big Jack reclined on his back, eyes closed, his face tilted toward the sun as if to take advantage of a tanning opportunity. His highly trained senses combined to inform him of another's approach, but he remained passive until he heard, Mr. Hollister, I presume? Hollister opened his eyes. He was looking up at a portly man dressed in a white suit with matching Panama hat. The man's skin was the collar of old copper. He looked as sleek as a seal. His very presence exuded confidence. Mind if I sit down? he asked. Hollister shifted slightly to make room. The portly man opened the red cooler and extracted a bottle of dark East India ale. You have excellent taste, sir, he said enthusiastically, removing the bottle cap with a single wrench of his large white teeth. I thought we might have some tastes in common, Hollister said. Uncommon, more likely, don't you think? The portly man replied, I guess it depends who you ask. The man decides it's time to end this silly fencing about and introduces himself as Morad, and that is all Mr. Hollister needs to know about him. Now, how can he be of service? Hollister says that he is interested in opportunities in Udon Kai. Murad says to stop with the euphemisms and asks directly, boys or girls? Hollister replies, girls. For 10000 Australian dollars, Hollister can obtain a pure virgin child that no one has ever touched and he'll have use of her for 24 hours. The age of consent in Udonkai is 12, but the government really doesn't care. The girl provided for $10,000 will be close to 12, but if Hollister wants to go lower in age, that can be arranged. For a price, of course. Morad goes on to explain that the very conversation they're having is legal, and if Hollister were to give him money now, that's legal too. Some groups in Australia are trying to get a law passed where such conversation would be a felony, but thankfully they have not yet been successful, and Morad thinks that they never will be. At last, Hollister hands over the $10,000, and in return is given an address in Udon Kai. Morad says, Ask for Bart Poe, and give him this card. The business card has a drawing of a black widow on one side, and some pictographic characters on the other handwritten. Morad is happy to have been of service. My notes? Ugh, I feel dirty just synopsizing that scene. I have a feeling it will just get worse once Bruce is physically in Udon Kai. I can't imagine the restraint needed for Bruce not to react to that business transaction in any way that would give himself away. I gotta say again that I commend Vax for dedicating his life to combat stuff like this. It really can't sit easy on the mind of a person who has any sort of conscience. On that note, because of several interstate highways crossing the area where I live, 
it is unfortunately a hot spot for human trafficking. I would encourage anyone listening to this to see what sort of resources are in your area for education about what to look for and how to help. A few months ago, the university where I work hosted a panel about human trafficking. It featured local law enforcement, hospital staff, and a survivor of human trafficking. I gotta say, I'm proud of my little town and for law enforcement and hospital staff working together to recognize the signs of a human trafficking victim and to get that person the help that they need. I've also heard of an app where you can upload photos of your hotel room when you travel. It allows an opportunity for agencies to match a hotel room's image and location to a photo where a victim is being held. There's unfortunately always that chance that the hotel room you log had been used in human trafficking, and now that the hotel room and location have been logged, it might lead investigators one step closer to justice. I'll put some links in the show notes. Chapter 15, Scene 3 The next night found a tiny jet cruising at 45,000 feet, well above any commercial aircraft. At the controls, the Batman checked the coordinates Alfred had beamed to him. He pulled the microphone close to his mouth, then used his right hand to tap in the code to access the Batcave. Yes, sir? Alfred answered. I'm on time, the Batman said. And on target. If I'm reading these coordinates properly together with the airport schematic, it appears as though I won't be landing on the runway at all. Is that your understanding as well? No, sir, it is not. Where you'll be landing is an uncharted section of the airport, but it has plenty of runway. When you approach, signal code 33 to the tower. They will not acknowledge, but a twin row of landing lights will appear to guide you down. And from there? Rama Begin will be waiting, sir, and he will have appropriate transport. It sounds as if the airport has done this before. All the time. Alfred answered dryly. It is their assumption that you intend some illicit activity. Perhaps that is why their special permit landing fee was a quarter of a million dollars U.S., wire transferred to an account in the Cayman Islands. This Rama Bien, are you absolutely certain of his credentials? The Batman asked, not referring to an ability to translate languages. His credentials are impeccable, sir. Alfred replied. He was thoroughly vetted by our people. In fact, he is wanted by General Nagum's government. A reward has been posted. Approximate value in U.S. currency is $2,000. A veritable fortune in that country. What is he wanted for? Treason, Alfred said. The Batman didn't bother to ask if that crime carried the death penalty. Signing off, he said, tilting the nose of the baby jet down to begin the long descent. My notes? Thank you, Paxton, of the I Read Movies podcast for providing the voice of Alfred this episode. Oh, Rama, why do I feel like you'll be wearing a red shirt on this mission? We haven't met you yet, but I'm already rooting for you. Fun fact for Chapter 15. The Cirrus SF-50 Vision Jet is the world's smallest and most affordable private jet. The $2 million plane is built using an all-carbon body, which significantly brings down production costs. That does it for Chapter 15. We'll return after the break for Chapter 16. Stay tuned!
Hey, Jared, I have a question. What's up? Well, I've been a part of the Longbox Crusade for about a year and a half now. Yeah? Well, that's not a question, man. I know. I'm getting to it. That was called Build Up. Like I was saying, I've been with the Longbox Crusade, and I have gone out and represented the show faithfully. That's still not a question. I'm still building up. I was wondering, could I be a part of the official promo? There's this great promo for the podcast that airs across podcast land, and it has Pat Sampson, the founder of the show, you, the art cell artist, and your brother, Jason, a.k.a. Weasel Skull. But it doesn't have me, Delvin Williams. The Dark Web. Could you ask the guys if they would let me be a part of the promotion since you were the one who invited me onto the show? Well, not to be a Mr. Quick to correct, but that was at least two questions. Still, I guess I'll ask. Let me go talk to the guys and you stay here. Okay, great. Thanks, man. Hey, guys. Hey, what's up, Jared? What's up, Jared? I have a question. Delvin's been with us for like a year and a half. That's not a question. Uh, yeah, I know. It's called Build Up. Hey, can we finally include him on the promo? It's the least we can do. He doesn't know that we're getting paid yet. And he never will. I mean, do we need him? After all, we already have the Longbox Crusade. And I provide awesome synopsis and insight on Crusader Chronicles. And I host Saturday Matinee Theater and also provide these nuts jokes. Hey, I do that. Me too. So we're fine as it is. What does Delvin do? We should just let him go. Wait, he hosts Transformers Chronicles. You should know that, Pat. You're on that show. So what do you say? Can we keep him? <sighs> Fine. Let's do it. Let's do it live. We could have done this with him in the room. It would have made more sense. Why is he outside? I think we were doing a bit. Okay, let's do this. The Longbox Crusade Podcast Network is the place to be if you like deep dives in the comics of yesteryear with the Longbox Crusade. Chronological reading journals with Crusader Chronicles. Indexing forgotten TV shows, films, and serials with Saturday Matinee Theater. Pitting two randomly selected action films against one another. An action film face-off cataloging the Marvel run of the Transformers comic with Transformers Chronicles and whatever else the demented minds of Pat, Jared, Jason, and Delvin can come up with. If that sounds like it might be for you, be sure to subscribe to The Longbox Crusade on iTunes, Google Play, and pretty much all reputable podcast feeds. Or check us out directly at www.longboxcrusade.com where we continue our quest to... Calling all hunters, we have a situation. While we have an established network of some fine podcasts involving the hit TV show Supernatural, there have been sightings of a monster that has slipped under our radar. Supernatural books. I propose that we meet at the roadhouse to put our heads together and find out what we can about the lore. Bring your rock salt. Bring your holy water. Bring your books. To Supernatural Books, The Winchesters and Prose. Welcome back, folks. Chapter 16 begins on page 153. There are a number of scenes in this chapter, with a vast majority of them being short enough that I'll just read them straight through. And as I apologize for my British accent and my Australian accent, I will also apologize for my attempt at a generic Southeast Asian accent. Chapter 16, Scene 1 As soon as the little jet touched down, it began to merge with the shadows of the end of the outlaw runway, its black and gray mottled paint blending perfectly. A slender young man with close-cropped black hair and unreadable eyes emerged from the surrounding underbrush and began to walk slowly toward the jet. There was a faint hiss as the side door opened. A large, powerfully built man climbed down the stairs, carrying a bulky suitcase in his left hand. He marked the approach of the slender young man and walked deliberately toward him at a steady pace. 
When the two met, the young man extended his hand. Rama bien, he said. At your service. Big Jack Hollister, the other man responded. Pleased to meet you, pal. My notes? Oh, if only he could have brought the Batwing. But I suppose a black and gray baby jet is good enough. Bruce said, pal. Why do I find that weird? Old friend? Okay. Chum? Outdated, but, you know, okay. Pal. Strange. And, uh, is the baby jet just going to hang out there until Big Jack Collister comes back for it? Of course, knowing Bruce Wayne, he probably has it where it can fold up into a bag. Chapter 16, Scene 2 I regret that the accommodations will be sparse, Rama Bien said to Big Jack as he steered the innocuous sedan gently around a long curve in one of the secondary roads that ringed the capital city. My employer said you wished privacy above all else, yes? Yes, that's right, Big Jack said. Don't worry about me. Once I get my bearings, I'll be out of your hair. Will you not be requiring me for- There's another man involved, Big Jack said. He's the one you really have to translate for, okay? I understand. But first, I want to kind of have a look around, all right? Yes. Once we are situated, I am at your disposal. My notes? I was wondering if Bruce would be Jack Hollister for the rest of the time in Udon Kai, but it seems we might get Batman after all. I'm also curious if Bruce recycles his alter egos. With something as distasteful as the child sex trade, I really wouldn't be surprised if he retires Big Jack Hollister for good after this mission. Chapter 16, Scene 3 Two nights later, Big Jack Hollister emerged from a nightclub. As he paused on the sidewalk, the tawdry neon washed his profile, accentuating a haggard face. It was the fifth club he had visited that night, the fifth club where little girls still years from becoming teenagers were paraded about on the bar as though they were another offering of food or drink. Choking down a mouthful of bile, Big Jack started a slow trek toward another address he had been given, his eyes rimmed with a red haze that had nothing to do with neon. The storefront was glass, with photographs, hand-painted in rough script. In the back of the store, Big Jack looked through an album of color pictures. All the photos were of children, boys and girls. None were clothed. Several were engaged in sex acts, with adults, with each other, with animals. The proprietor pointed to each photograph in turn, quoting prices and services in passable English. The man for whom self-control was the hallmark of his life struggled internally with a secret voice, a voice he was hearing for the first time, a voice urging him to violence. Shaking his head as though the movement would rearrange his thoughts, Big Jack Collister stalked out of the pimp's parlor and back into the streets. It's time, he muttered to himself. <sighs> My notes, um, I don't know what to say about this one. I think it speaks for itself. Chapter 16, Scene 4 The Batman traversed the rooftops of Maine now smoothly, marking the location of dead-end streets, one-way alleys, and other strategic locations. He crisscrossed the city, following the information Rama Bin had given to Big Jack, locating several small apartment buildings exclusively used to house sex industry children. 
Peering inside, the Batman was overcome with a sadness so profound that his entire body trembled with empathetic pain for the captured children. Mother, is this the demon you battled? He asked in his mind. And across time, across space, across even death, his mother answered. My notes, another very powerful little scene. My guess is if Batman weren't there trying to uh, go for the head of some of these organizations, he would do all he could to bust all these children out of these buildings. Chapter 16, Scene 5 Rama Bien returned to the shabby house he had rented on the edge of town, expecting to meet the big American journalist. He entered through the front door and carefully made his way to the back of the house where the American slept. The room was empty. Like most people who search a room, Rama Bien never looked up, so when the Batman dropped softly to the floor behind him, it was as though the Knight Rider had materialized from nowhere. Startled, Rama's hand flashed toward his armpit, but the Batman was too quick. The pistol never left its holster. Don't be afraid, the Batman said, maintaining his grip on the young man's forearm. I have not come to hurt you. I have come to ask your help. Who are... Big Jack Hollister must have told you about me, the Batman said softly. I need a translator. Oh, you are the one. I did not think... That's all right. I need to go to the mountains, and I need a guide. The mountains? Outside the city, you mean? Yes, far outside. I want to go to the places where people sell their children like cattle. That is, sadly, a very easy request to meet, Ramabien said, his eyes still adjusting to the costumed creature who stood before him. When would you want to go? Now, the Batman said. Tonight. I need to have a base established before it gets light. But first, there is another place I want to visit. My notes? Wait, if Jack Hollister is an Udonkai, and Batman is an Udonkai... And they're both big. Good thing Jack Collister is a disguise as well. <sighs> I hope Rama wasn't counting on getting any sleep tonight. Chapter 16, Scene 6 In a narrow alley across from a twisting street, the Batman and his guide watched a dark doorway. The address of Batpo. Are you able to get inside by showing this card? The Batman asked his guide, handing the Black Widow symbol to him. Ah, uh, yes. All the flesh traders know this chop, Rama said quietly. It will be unusual for a native to possess one. They would probably ask many questions, but it will certainly get me in the door. Do it, the Batman said. Rama bowed. When he looked up, he was alone in the alley. My notes? <laughs> um... I wanted to call Rama a name like Robin because he's Batman's sidekick. Rama, Robin, and my brain came up with Raman. Can I call him Raman? Because he seems to be good at using his noodle? Yeah, sorry. I'm not really sorry, though. Chapter 16, Scene 7 and 8 A scene with some meat to it. Enough meat for a healthy serving of... Recently, Theodore is proud to present That Time Batman Uses a Translator. Guest starring Professor Allen as Rama Bien, Dustin as Batman, and Cristaros 
از بات پو راما بین کراس دی نیرو استریت فرتیولی هیز کیریج سجستینگ سم نیفریس پرپس ا کویک سیریز اف شارپ راپس اون دی وودن دور اند ا نیرو پانل سلید بک وات از وانتد ا وایس آسکد ان اودون راما دید نات انسر انستد هی هاندد دی بلاک ویدو کارد ترو دی سلوت وچ امیدیتلی کلوزد A long five minutes passed. The door opened fully. A man dressed in a hooded black gi told Rama to enter, standing aside as he did so. The man in black pointed down a corridor. Rama walked slowly in that direction, feeling the other man close behind. They entered a long, narrow room where a man of uncertain ancestry sat in a chair that looked as if it had once been a throne. The man in the black gi approached, bowed quickly and handed over the black widow card I am Bahat Pro the man in the chair spoke where did you get this card from a man a white man he is staying at the hotel he told me to fetch the girl and bring her to him that is not permitted Batpo replied it is too dangerous he must come here tell him I want the girl the Batman said stepping through the door Before Rama could begin the translation, the man in black moved toward the Batman. Up on his toes in a cat stance, the man in black circled slowly. The Batman stood immobile, as patient as stone. With a sharp cry, the man in black ran forward and leaped into the air, turning at an impossible angle to fire a two-footed strike at the Batman's midsection. The masked man slipped the strike. and struck at the exposed inner thigh of his adversary as he flew by. The blow so paralyzed the man in the black gi that he could not control his body. His head struck the polished wooden floor with that crackle-crunch sound that always foretells a fractured skull. Tell him, the Batman said again, as calm as a man asking for a newspaper. Rama spoke in Udon, listening to the response from Batpo, then said... He says there are no girls here. Y- you have made a mistake. He is very sorry. Translate simultaneously, the Batman said in a harsh voice. Direct. None of this he said, she said. Understand? Rama bowed, waiting. Give me the girl. I will not ask again, the Batman said. I have no girl, I have no girl here, sir, Rama said, translating the hurried, frightened speech of Batpo. One of two things in this house, the Batman said. The choice is yours. Either you have the girl or you have everlasting pain. Please, please, sir. I do, I do not have. The Batman strode toward the massive wood desk next to Batpo's throne. His gloved hand flashed. The desk splintered as though it were balsa instead of teak. Batpo's scream was instantly silenced as the Batman grasped his throat. Your larynx is next, he hissed. Batpo's face turned a sickly greenish color. His legs trembled uncontrollably. He spoke for almost a minute before he stopped, his hands clasped together in a prayerful gesture. Upstairs. Was all the translating Rama needed. The Batman grasped a nerve cluster in Batpo's throat, and the merchant collapsed, falling face forward onto the remains of the smashed desk. Rama led the way up the narrow staircase, the Batman right behind. The only light was a fat candle at the end of the hall. In the last room, they found the girl. 
She looked to be eight or nine years old, dressed in a pure white silk shift, her hair combed until it was glossy. Everything about her was bright and shining except her eyes. They were glazed and vacant. She must have fought hard, Rama said. They had to drug her. Pick her up and follow me, the Batman said. Bat foe may have more men downstairs, Rama warned, hoisting the child onto one shoulder and drawing his automatic with his free hand. I hope so, the Batman said, his voice as merciless as a panther's snarl. It seems uh, destined, Rama said to the Batman. They were in Rama's car, heading out of the city. You ask to go where the children are sold, and now we are taking one of the children back. I believe it is a sign. But I say to you, with all respect, you should not return this child to her family. Why not? Because they sold her. They do not admit that, of course. To save face, they always say that the child is going to the city to work and will send money home. The child buyers, they pay cash, and they say the child must work enough to earn that cash. The child cannot go home until this is done. Is it ever done? No. Perhaps you are right. Let us get into the mountains first, then we will decide. As you say, warrior. Rama replied, peering through the streaked windshield, eyes alert for government troops. We will be in the mountains in three hours. A huge thank you to everyone who answered the call for voice actors for this episode of Rest in Peace Theater. Um, I've asked them to send a little blurb about themselves and where listeners can find them, and I will play those now. Elaine, this is Professor Allen from the Relatively Geeky Podcast Network and from Darkness to Light. And I appreciate you inviting me to contribute some lines to the latest Dark Knight in Prose drama. Hello, this is Dustin from the Batman Universe. I am the senior editor over at the Batman Universe. You can find me over at the Batman Universe Comic Podcast, as well as an upcoming show called The Streaming Wars. Hi, everyone. This is Pat DJ Christatos from the Longbox Crusade Network, and I want to give a big thank you to Lane for allowing me to be on the RIP Theater. I had a blast doing it. You can find the Longbox Crusade Network on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Longbox Crusade. You can also find us on the internet at www.longboxcrusade.com. Come and check it out. We have many different shows there, such as the Longbox Crusade, where we choose a random date and month and look at an issue from my collection. We have Crusader Chronicles, where we are chronologically reading through my comic book collection. We also have Saturday Matinee Theater, where we are going through the 1954 Sherlock Holmes TV series and some older Flash Gordon. We also have Transformer Chronicles, where we're going through the Marvel Transformers series. And Action Film Face-Off, where two films enter and one film will leave. And we have G.I. Joe Chronicles, The Devil Do Years, and a whole lot of other fun shows that we do. So stop by and give it a try. Thank you, Lane, once again for having me on. Fun fact for Chapter 16. Interpreting can be consecutive or simultaneous. In consecutive interpreting, the speaker and interpreter take turns. 
In simultaneous interpreting, the interpreter translates at the same time the speaker is speaking. This is especially helpful for the members of the UN. All right, that does it for chapter 15 and 16. We are rapidly closing in on the end of this book. We have two more episodes of this book and then a finale episode. There's no movie attributed with this book, but there is a comic book adaptation. So I'm going to try to do a little something special with that. Thank you for listening. And until next time, Gothamites, happy reading. Batman is copyrighted to DC Comics and was created by Bob Kane and Bill Finger. 